Greetings and welcome to the Audio Tidbits Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy the show. I assume that you like me sometimes need to deal with people who drive you up the wall. When having to interact with them, the frustration factor is at the center of your world. Life for you is at least tedious and at worst stressing you enough to make you think about finding a place to hide where you never have to deal with people again. The reality is that the people who drive you up the wall are not going away. They and you are here to stay. The good news is that you don't have to let them continue to drive you up the wall. They can be brought into line and you are just the person who can handle them. Let me share a few examples along with some strategies and techniques you can use to put a stop to the attitudes and behavior that are driving you up the wall. Ravenham stands up to light round of applause and delivers his campaign speech to the west of a leadership coalition. It is the evening he has waited for since the day he joined the civic group. From that first meeting, he had known that his being president was critical if the club were to get out of its rut. He revels in the knowledge that his day has finally come. Thank you for the opportunity to tell you about my qualifications as they relate to the important work of our organization. I have been in this club for six years and have seen examples of success and examples of failure. I have learned from that experience and now stand before you to ask for your support in applying my experience to the problems and challenges lying ahead. I have seen us flounder from reliance on recycled projects and repetition of the past. I pledge to you a new vision not shackled by the temptation to look back when we need to look ahead. My presidency would bring a new motivation, a new energy, a plan that moves us smoothly into the future. You have my word, my personal commitment that I will give 100% to the progress of our club. I will not stoop to the level of petty bickering and self-serving arguments, to the level of individual interests, and to the pressure of divisiveness and conflicting factions. Your president will stand above the commonplace and ahead of those who would hold us back. I will be the leader of all our members. I make my personal pledge to each of you to tell all without holding back. I will bring every issue to you and pledge not to participate in the good old boy network. I will strive to be seen as your leader and not as just one of the boys. What should the goals of our fellowship be? I have struggled with the answer and am struck by its simplicity. I need only look at my goals, my interests, my aspirations. Ravenham is an example of, a personification of, the body of our shared ambitions, our collective will. This is not self-serving or arrogant. I know those who know me will see I only intend for our venture into tomorrow to center on those dreams we all share. I only want what we all have worked for over the years. I also pledge to you I will not stretch for your support by giving a false impression. Ravenham will be your president. This is an important job that cannot be honored by washing dishes, by knocking on doors, by trying to outdo the hard work of our valued members. Your president's place is at the leading edge of planning and assuring our success with the largest project, with the smallest detail. Let me close by sharing with you the heart of my campaign. I will work 24 hours a day, every day, to be the standard by which leadership may be judged. I will use my position of leadership as a vantage point from which to bring to each of you the best. I ask for your support, for your vote, 
Once Ray finishes, it is time for Bud Smith to give his campaign speech. He stands up, stretches and slowly lucks around the beating room. Somewhat haltingly, he starts. Ray, that was a fine speech. You are a qualified man. Looking several members directly in the eye, Bud continues. I can sure see why you would want to vote for Ray. It's a little monkey-see, monkey-do, but I think I would do a good job too. Whoever wins, I'm behind him and for whatever you feel is best for the club. All things considered, I still think I will vote for me. Bud is almost seated when he adds. Oh by the way, I guess I will still wash dishes whatever you decide. It is instructive to see an experienced eye player one up a promising but less experienced player. Ray is a beginner and does not stand a chance when up against a master like Bud. It is interesting to review the techniques Ray uses, even if he is somewhat awkward and amateurish. It also is instructive to see how Bud puts the screws, so to speak, to Ray's campaign. Not counting the times Ray uses I, his promising qualifications as an I player quickly surface. Those who are not students of the I method may think that it is bad form to be so self-aggrandizing or chest puffing in a beating with friends. To the contrary, there is no better place or better way for the I player to be sure everyone knows just how good he is. As I players say, If you don't blow your own horn, no one else is going to blow it for you. Ray does not make the wrong move so much as he is just outclassed. Consider how Bud uses the same techniques as Ray uses, turning them to his advantage. It is a little monkey-see, monkey-do, but I think I would do a good job too. All things considered, I still think I will vote for me. The master packs multiple techniques into a small package and delivers it squarely on target. Bud hits the bullseye with his little bomb. The trick is in. I think I would do a good job too. He offers no reasons or explanations. It is a fact based solely on the word of Bud. His use of I is enough justification. Granted, Bud does reduce the importance of the thing to monkey business before making the assertion, but it still stands on the strength of his saying it. This is I play at its most effective. Ray uses a similar technique. He considers no motivations or interests but his. He rings eloquent as he says. I pledge to you a new vision. A new energy. A plan that moves us smoothly into the future. He takes complete control, offering only his vision, his motivation, his plan. Ray is on a roll. He establishes himself at the center of everything, and only what he thinks, feels, wants, and needs are important. From his position at the center, Ray looks out on, or perhaps down on, everyone and everything. What is even more remarkable, he tells the members that he will continue to do so. Your president will stand above the commonplace and ahead of those who would hold us back. He comes very close to saying that he is above the common man but does not quite go over the edge. Ray knows I play can be taken too far. It is alright to look out and maybe even down so long as he does not give the impression of looking down his nose. Ray then goes for the big close. I also pledge to you I will not stretch for your support by giving a false impression. I will use my position of leadership as a vantage point from which to bring to each of you the best. Ray is an up and coming example of the frustration factor in action. It is a promise of things to come. 
Should the club members ever elect him president, they will get exactly what he promises. But just to be sure A knows who the master is, Bud puts the icing on the cake. Oh, by the way, I guess I will still wash dishes whatever you decide. This is just Bud's little way of letting Ray know that he overplayed his hand. I hope you are getting a good feel for the eye players of the world. If you aren't careful, you will find them driving you up the wall before you know anything unusual is happening. Let's see how they work their frustrating magic. Eye players overrate their skills and abilities. This technique is at the essence of the eye method. No matter how good the player is, he represents himself as somewhat more qualified. It is not necessary to represent himself as the best. This is where A in the illustration goes too far. The trick is for the player to overstate his skills and abilities only slightly. If he does it effectively, the claims will seldom be contested. If he calls himself the greatest, it is likely that someone, somewhere, sometime will test him. If this happens, it is put up or shut up time. The eye player does not want this type of confrontation. In the illustration, you see how Bud simply makes himself the judge without claiming that he is the best judge. At that level, no one tests him. Using eye play and the overstatement technique are effective ways to move on to bigger and better things. Nick is a young associate in a large accounting firm. Through the normal course of events, he has obtained several small accounts and the busy work of the more senior associates. His peers complain about having to do the uninteresting work of the senior people, but Nick actively asks for such assignments. Over time, he talks with the senior associates more and receives additional complex and interesting assignments. His approach is always to be in two things just a little over his head. When asked to do something beyond his ability, Nick seldom defers. He passes only if he thinks he cannot bluff his way along. He usually manages to hang in there until he learns how to do the assignment or gets someone else to tell him how. Once in a while, things turn out badly. At those times, Nick comes up with ways to move the responsibility to other people or point to special circumstances. The net outcome is that Nick is rapidly moving up in the organization. The trick is that he is doing this while seldom knowing what he is doing. The moral from this eye player's point of view is clear. It is easier to be a good player than it is to be a competent accountant. Eye players are not concerned about the motivations or interests of others. To use this technique effectively, the player must pull off an nifty deception. The eye player needs to seem interested in people, their motivations, and their interests. If this does not happen, others see him as cold and uncaring. The message to people must be, I care about you and only have your best interest at heart. Here is the deception. The eye player only concerns himself or herself with personal goals and interests. The game is to develop a level of trust and inattention that blinds other people from seeing what is happening. Within this blind spot, the player does his work. An example is instructive. Mel Lewis wants to be on the committee that recommends contract renewals for faculty. His motivation here is interesting. He is also on the committee that reviews teaching assignments and schedules. 
His goal is to get a schedule permitting him to keep his outside consulting job. This is how he plays the eye game. First, he spends a few months cultivating relationships with two or three members of the contracts committee. This gets him the desired appointment. Next, he spends a lot of time talking to Dave Reiner who is up for contract renewal. I know you are up for renewal and that, with the cuts and all, you are on the cut list. I like you and want to do everything I can to help you stay. There is no cut list but there will be some cuts. Mel keeps his promise and votes for renewal of Dave's contract. It would have been renewed anyway. Dave is relieved and grateful. Now comes the payoff. As Mel expected, Dave gets the schedule Mel wants. It is now time for Mel to close the deal. In a warm and sincere voice, Mel says to Dave. I'm surprised and disappointed you took my schedule after all we have been through together. I guess you had your reasons. I just want you to know this won't affect our friendship though. I'm glad you were able to stay, although I'm not so sure about me since I've lost that consulting job. You know how it is with a family. It takes a lot of money. That is not your problem though. The buying for Dave is real. Whichever way he goes, Mel wins. If Dave trades schedules, Mel keeps his consulting job. If Dave does not trade, he still owes Mel one. Having markers out there is almost as good as winning today. The successful lie player may lose one now and then but mostly he wins. Eye players are above it all. This ploy works best when combined with the two earlier techniques. First the eye player represents himself as somewhat exceptional in the ability and skill departments. This enables him to justify being separate from or above everyone else. Second, the player cares so much and is so concerned that he has to stay distanced. This is the best position for him to be maximally helpful. He is definitely above it all. The trick is to avoid appearing too good to get involved or to participate. Others must not see the player as someone who will not get his hands dirty. The idea is to become somewhat of a father figure or mother figure, as the case may be. Frank is a very skilled eye player who manages to stay above it all, most all the time. His approach is to talk little, appear to listen carefully, and to take detailed notes. He frequently says, I'll get back to you on that one. This enables him to avoid getting into the middle of things or into a position where anyone tries to deal with him as an equal. Interestingly, this includes his organizational superiors. When he does get back with people which is about half the time he says, I can, or can't, help you with this one. Almost no matter what, he ends up with others seeing him as leaning down to do them a favor. Sure, it is just a little trick but most effective. Over time, the number of people who see themselves as owing him favors grows, even though he has done virtually nothing for any of them. Eye players do not look beyond simple self-interest. This is critical for eye players. The technique is a version of not being concerned about the interests of others but is important enough to receive separate attention. It is more than a general observation about the behavior of eye players. It is a mandate for eye players who are successful. Beverly is a heavy equipment operator for a construction company. 
she is a first class I player, which accounts for much of her success in her chosen vocation. Vic is her oiler and is responsible for keeping her machine in good running condition. One Thursday, Bev notices that Vic forgot to complete part of his task and wonders whether to do it for him or just let it slide. Her impulse is to spend the 5 minutes it takes to do his job. She can let him know she did him a favor and then collect the marker someday. It also is tempting to let it slide, knowing that one time is not going to hurt anything. She can still let Vic know she knows, giving her the upper hand at least a little. What is her choice? The debate takes her about 2 seconds. Bev shuts down her machine and finds herself some shade. Within a few minutes, the whole job is shut down because of the importance of Bev's machine to the project. Within a couple minutes, the superintendent walks over and asks. What is this all about? Why are you shut down? Bev takes another swallow of coffee and says. My oil light is on. Someone will have to check it. The superintendent asks. Didn't Vic take care of it? Bev says. I have my hands full operating the machine. I will get someone to take care of it though, if you want me to help you out. The superintendent says. Someone better take care of it. I sure don't have time for this. Matter of factly, Bev says. You got it, boss. Is the boss upset with Bev? He does not know who to be upset with. Is Vic upset with Bev? No, she did not point the finger at him. The winner is Bev and there are no losers. No losers unless you see the company and its production schedule as losers. This possibility is not important to Bev or to Vic for that matter. The best part of the play for Bev and Vic is that, even if the superintendent talks to Vic about what happened, Vic can blame it on unexpected problems with the equipment. For this, he still owes Bev one. It is a 2 for 1 trick. Bev has a marker from Vic and a favor due from the boss. As you see, Bev simply pursues her self-interest. I players use themselves as the standard for everything. If the player is interested, what others say and do is interesting. If the player is frustrated, things are a mess. If something affects the player, it is important, and if not, it is irrelevant. If the I player likes it, it is good, and if not, it is bad. If the player is happy, things are going well, and if not, things are falling apart. As the I player goes, so goes everything and everyone. Nancy is a manager of a small department in a medium-sized company. The secretarial support and data management for her staff are handled by a central support unit. Nancy knows that about half of the support staff are new and there are serious problems with the company's computer system. There are recurring filing problems, data discrepancies, and unusual slowness with typing. These problems are frustrating to Nancy and contribute to some problems for her staff. On the other hand, her staff is working on some new activities and projects. This places some new paperwork and data demands on them. Within Nancy's operation, there are some problems that contribute to the difficulties with the support unit. Nancy does not so much as give a passing thought to sitting down with the support manager and figuring out better ways of dealing with things. A skilled player like her does not consider such ridiculous time wasters. 
What does she do? She promptly calls her superior and vents her outrage with a crisis in the support area. You are going to have to do something about this crisis. What would you suggest, Nancy? I don't have time to straighten out other people's problems. I don't know what you are going to do about your problem. All I know is my staff can't be expected to work under these conditions. Right on, Nancy. You play I to perfection. Define a small problem as a crisis and then point your finger at someone else and suggest that it is going to bring things to a halt. The payoff is that no matter what problems Nancy's staff have now, they are because of the crisis that is not her fault or responsibility. No matter what happens, Nancy wins. That is exactly the position the iPlayer strives for at all times. iPlayers are a breed apart from other players. Most people who drive you up the wall find their motivations an underlying insecurity or a sense of inadequacy. For the iPlayer, a different kind of process is going on. When the iPlayer overrates his skills and abilities, you are not seeing an overcompensation or intentional exaggeration. The player truly believes his skills and abilities are better than they are. People say things about these players like, If he were half as good as he thinks he is, it would be a thing to behold. The point is that the player may be competent at something or maybe just average. Nonetheless, he perceives himself as being better than he actually is. Usually, this overrating of his ability is to the extent that the player honestly believes he is the best at whatever it is. The player also believes that everyone else in your company is much less competent than he is at whatever it is. You can take it to the bank that everyone else includes you. The iPlayer is a superior person, he thinks. This feeling of superiority reaches beyond skills and abilities. The iPlayer believes his issues are all that matter. The problems and interests of others are unimportant in comparison. The player acts as if he is above it all, and from his point of view it is true. The player's self-interest is of primary importance, and there is no reason to look beyond that. The iPlayer indeed does believe he is superior. It is important never to forget this simple fact. Now consider the equally valid fact that the belief is irrational. The player is not the best at everything and especially not the best at getting along and working with others. Since the belief is irrational, talking with or confronting him about it will do little good. It will tend to reinforce the belief, as irrational as that might be. What does effective counterplay look like with the iPlayer? The key is not to buy into the game. Over time, most people will, for whatever reason, gradually come to treat the player as if he is better than anyone else. It may be just too exhausting or tedious to do anything else. The iPlayer is not called on his behavior. He gets privileges other people do not have. People listen to the player when no one is interested in what he is saying. People develop a tolerance for the iPlayer, are deferential because it is easier, and let the player have his way. What to do? First, treat the iPlayer the same as everyone else. Do not give him special privileges. Do not listen unless what he is saying is of interest. Do not defer to him unless he is right. 
If you are to play successfully with the iPlayer, you need to be self-assured, assertive, and persistent. For most iPlayers, being fair, firm, and consistent will be enough to affect change in their behavior. For the committed few however, an additional technique is needed. iPlayers do have problems, make mistakes, and get into difficult situations. Their approach is primarily to displace responsibility onto other people. It is not their fault, and they go to some length to be sure you know that. Here is what to do when you know you are dealing with an iPlayer. Say, I can see that this is a serious problem. It may not be your fault, but you are in the best position to handle it. Given your skills and experience, you are the logical choice to get us out of this crisis. I'm directing you to pull together a team including the key people and to get this one fixed. I'm delegating the authority and responsibility to you. Please take care of it. It is likely that the problem will quickly become less critical and that the iPlayer will be less likely to play his game with you the next time he has a problem. Just be sure to keep an eye on the situation. In the unlikely event that there actually is a crisis needing your intervention, you want to remain in a position to do what needs done. One further technique may be useful if the iPlayer does get together the team but gets everyone up in arms. Wait until the next time he comes to you with a crisis that is of course not his fault. Listen to hear who he is blaming this time. Suppose his target is Sue. Say, Thank you for calling this to my attention. I will have Sue get together a team to deal with this. I also will let her know that she can expect your full cooperation. I'm sure you will have no problem working for Sue on this one since you are so concerned and are not able to work it out by yourself. Having said how to deal with the obnoxious behavior, it is important to add the other side of the counterplay. When the iPlayer does behave in acceptable and appropriate ways, treat him as you would anyone else. No, it is not a good idea intentionally to reward or reinforce acceptable behavior more so than with other staff. Appropriate behavior is to be expected, not rewarded. It is only necessary to reiterate that the iPlayer has to be treated like everyone else. Over time, he may come to behave more like everyone else although this is unlikely. The only thing changing is the behavior of the people who have to deal with the player. It will help to go back over the counterplay in somewhat different terms. The iPlayer has through whatever childhood and organizational experiences, come to believe that he is in important ways superior to and better than others. The result is that the player is used to receiving special consideration and deference. Within your company, his associates are being secondarily conditioned. The process works like this, as most people interact with each other, each person does two things. First, he adjusts to and accommodates to others. Next, he projects his personality and style in a way that enables others to adjust to and accommodate to him. This process may be understood as reciprocal accommodation. For most people, the process quickly leads to a fit within the group. The iPlayer neither understands nor functions within the reciprocal accommodation process. His social learning has taught him that he does not have to adjust to or accommodate to others. 
the player assumes that others will adjust to and accommodate to him. It simply never occurs to the eye player that it should work in the other direction too. Enter the eye player into your group or organization. Even worse, enter someone new into your group or organization where the eye player is already entrenched. Most people, without thinking about it, try to adjust to and accommodate to the eye player. Since there is no reciprocity, the effort is all one-sided. Over time, people are bending over backward to get along with the player. He then assumes a special position and role. This reinforces the player's behavior and the game is on. As an effective manager, you are alert to the game of the eye player and ready for counterplay. The trick is to spot those relationships where the adaptation and accommodation are one-sided. When you see the pattern, the need is to treat the eye player the same as you treat everyone else. Do this by not adjusting or accommodating to him any more than to others. Your counterplay indirectly gives permission to others in the group to follow your lead. Also, watch for and avoid any tendency to reinforce the eye player's perception of being better, smarter, more skilled, and more important than others.